okay, we're making $100,000 together, but we are, based on this spreadsheet that we just put together or this automated system I'm I'm using, we are spending $150,000. So help me figure out how we can still get the important things that you like that bring you joy and come back to zero. Welcome to The Fi Show, where you'll get a behind-the-scenes look into financial independence. Here's your host, Cody and Justin. Hello there, and welcome to another episode of The Fi Show. And I couldn't be doing this without my awesome co-host, Cody. How's it going, Cody? Yo, yo. What's up, man? I'm actually chilling in Seattle at Jay from Millennial Boss slash Drill Podcast House. So shout out to her. <laughs> How about you, man? Well, I just got back from uh, the great state of Texas. Had to hit up a couple concerts. One that included an uh, all-you-can-eat fish fry, so that was kind of interesting. Sweet, man. Well, enough about our lives. Just wanted to give you a quick little update. But today we had a guest on that both you and I really wanted to get on for a while. We met him at FinCon for the first time in person. This guy is just awesome. He's a rock star on relationships and money. And this is Andy from Marriage, Kids, and Money. So, Justin, what did you think about the episode? I think the thing you noticed first with him is just his enthusiasm and like he just loves this topic and you can tell how much it changed his life. It's also a very relatable story. But let's not give it all away. Take it away, Andy. When my wife and I got together back in 2010, together we were making some decent money, maybe a little over six figures, but we were also spending all of our six figures. So we um, we accumulated quite a bit of debt, maybe around $50,000 in student debt. And she had a nice car loan. And I used to use my home equity line of credit like it was like the ATM. <laughs> I would just pull out the money when I wanted it, want to go to the concert, want to go to the bar, whatever. The home equity line of credit was my thing. So anyway, we were making good money and we were spending good money. <laughs> but uh, as soon as we realized that we were going to be parents, something clicked, you know, in my brain. And I started to get this, I went into this sort of protection mode for my family where I'm like, okay, I've been living for me for a while and we're having a lot of fun but i've got a i've got a a human that is growing inside my wife and i want to protect that human (laughs) to the best of my ability so i got really excited about um, what what i could do to give my future family the best life possible and i started to read books and read blogs and listen to radio shows and start to get really excited about the things that i could do personally to change our family situation and that's that's kind of where we started off we had about $50,000 $50,000 in debt. My wife and I partnered together through some trial and error <laughs> to uh, to eliminate that debt and really kick our, our family off in the right direction. So when you said you were making six figures, you're talking about combined or like each? Combined. Yeah, combined. we were probably, uh, yeah, maybe like 100, 110, something like that together. Yeah. And where, where are or where are you located? We're in Metro Detroit. Okay. I've heard some, you know, different stories about Detroit. How is How has that been over the last few years, like seeing that transform? Well, I, I grew up just outside of Detroit in a nice suburb. So when I was growing up, Detroit was one of those things where you would just be like, don't go there unless you want to go buy beer at 15, you know, you, <laughs> and they would sell it to you as well. Uh, no, we, it, growing up, it was, um, it was not in a great state. And, but in the past five years, li- no joke, it has literally transformed into a crazy brand new city. And I think it's just been infused with a lot of business. You know, we got our, our local billionaire, Dan Gilbert, who's helping us from uh, from Quicken Loans and, and, and Rock Financial and all that good stuff. And, and, and M&M's M&M. great. We got M&M. But no, there's just, yeah, Kid exactly. Rock. We got, we got all the stars, man. But uh, there's just been a lot of growth downtown. So a lot of young people are wanting to live down there, work down there, a lot of great restaurants. So over the past five years, it has just it has completely changed. It's fun to be down there. I go down there 
you know, maybe once a month for, you know, a Lions game or something like that. I'll go down there and be like, that's a new restaurant. That's a new building. It's, it's nuts. It's great. And so I know part of your money story that you've mentioned before in other podcasts is that, you know, you've used real estate as part of this growth. How has that, that real estate market looked like in Detroit? And, you know, how have you been able to capitalize on that? So when, when Nicole and I got together, we, I had already bought a house in mid 2000s. And this was the thing that I thought I was smart, what I was supposed to do. When you graduate from college, you buy a house, right? Because renting is silly. <laughs> it's dumb, right? Not true. So I bought a house. I quickly realized that I could not afford I could not afford to live there. <laughs> I, I talked to the mortgage person. They said, hey, you can afford this. You're, you're 22. You're fresh. You're making whatever, $30,000 a year. You can afford a $200,000 house. So I got it, and I could barely make the, the payments for the mortgage itself, let alone the bills, the repairing of the roof, the, the random things. You know, you have to repair the home. It's, it's crazy. I quickly realized that I could not afford to live there, so I started having roommates come and live with me. So I got one roommate. And then I got another and then I got another. And, you know, fast forward a couple of years later, they're ending up paying the mortgage for me. So I know it's called house hacking now. But back then it was just like getting roommates off Craigslist. That was my <laughs> first adventure with real estate. And then um, when Nicole and I got together, she quickly said, hey, this bachelor pad is really nice and cute for you. But we need to have a, a you know, grown up house. So she started doing the shopping for the for the home after that. And she found our, our forever home. And I was a little hesitant at the time to move forward on it because, you know, bigger home meant bigger mortgage. And I'd already kind of been burned by that originally. So I did not want to go down the same path of getting a mortgage I couldn't afford, having that weight on my back again, and then trying to find some wild solution to pay for it. I knew my wife wasn't going to let me have four roommates live with me and, and, and our kids. <laughs> so um, what I talked to her about, I said, hey, we can go for this house. I think it was about uh, $350,000. We can go for this house, but we're going to get a 15-year mortgage and we're going to pay this thing off within five years. Are you cool with that? And she agreed. She said, all right, I get my dream house. And I said, I get my, you know, debt-free life in, in the next five years. So that, that became sort of our, our handshake agreement. That's, so that's, that's been our foray into real estate. Really, it's just the homes that, uh, that we've owned. And then we were able to pay that mortgage off just last fall. So we are one year mortgage-free and completely debt-free. So life's good in the Hill House right now. The first house you had, did you sell that one? Yes, we did. Okay. We were able to... I would say we were able to probably break even with the amount that I paid for it originally and all the money I threw into it. I think I bought it for 200, I sold it probably for 220, and I definitely put at least $20,000 into it. So, I would say that was that was my lost decade, I guess, in real estate. <laughs> all right, Andy. So, I kind of want to hop back cuz it seems like at one point you figure out this money thing, you're doing house hacking, you're crushing it, you got your tenants to pay for your expenses, and then you unfigure out money. You start spending like $100,000 a year or whatever. You, you and your wife, you said, were barely saving anything when you first got together. And then you figure out money again. So, I mean, just what were the catalysts for the figuring and unfiguring out of money? Yeah, that's a great that's a great question. I would say it's probably like survival instinct, maybe, or a little bit of science. You know, I would say for when I started off and I got the home, I sort of put myself in a, my first home. I got myself in a really tough spot. So it was like, okay what can I do? I need to figure out how to make more money or how to have people pay this home off for me. So I did both of those things. I got roommates to move in with me. And then I also figured out a way to increase my income. And then with that income increase, I still really liked spending money and having fun and, and enjoying myself in my 20s. <laughs> but that kind of got away from me. I didn't do any sort of the important things of 
you know, managing your money, cash flow planning, understanding what net worth was. I didn't realize any of that stuff until Nicole and I started talking about having kids. And with that, I guess that was sort of the science jolt of like, hey, I'm going to be a dad. <laughs> There's something chemically switching in my brain right now to say, you've got to make change. So did I have the path figured out from the beginning? Definitely not. There was a lot of trial and error and a lot of, a lot of opportunities to learn different things. So with the house hacking thing in the beginning, it was more along the lines of, hey, I need to survive. I cannot live on my $30,000 income and pay for this home that I can't afford. So what can I do to, to make it happen? And then later on, it was more along the lines of what can I do? What can I do for my family? What can I do to make a great future? So that, I guess that's uh, it's been a funny path I've been on. <laughs> <laughs> And so it was 2010 when you and Nicole got together? Yes, 2010, we got married. And yeah, it's been eight years, eight years later now. So yeah. And so when did the first thought of having a kid just come into your mind? And what were the tangible steps that you took to cut your spending down from whatever the close to six figure mark to a more reasonable amount? Great question. Yeah, so we got together in 2010. And then it was probably a year later, we started talking about having children. And once we realized that we were pregnant and we were looking at ultrasound pictures. Again, I started to dive into some material. One of the books that I really got into was The Total Money Makeover by Dave Ramsey. And I know a lot of people know that book. A lot of people dive into Dave Ramsey. I dove in hard. I am a rule follower. So he had steps and I was following all of those steps and much to my wife's chagrin sometimes. So some of those steps sometimes caused money fights for us in the beginning. And some of those steps helped us to make some big progress. So but some of the steps that we took originally that uh, she eventually jumped on board with, we got together once a month for what we dubbed the budget party. We'd get together and we'd review all of our numbers, both our income and our expenses, to find out where those trouble spots were because we were spending all of it, right? So some of the areas that we were able to dial back on because we didn't have kids was majorly on entertainment. We used to go out a lot, go out to dinners and go out for drinks and things like that. And when you're pregnant, you can't really drink a lot anymore anyway. So uh, she was okay with, with parts of that. But a lot of it, we ended up having to say no to a lot of friends and family. I mean, that was, that was tough, you know, uh, especially when you tell people what you're doing. You're saying, hey, we don't, um, we don't want to live with uh, student loans anymore. And we're going to pay them off real fast. You know, for people who aren't on that track, sometimes you get some comments or, or, or looks like, what do, you, what do you mean? Everybody has student loans or everybody always has a car payment. What are you talking about never having a car payment again? So some of the difficulty was more along the lines of being able to say no to friends and family that we like spending time with. And what we explained to them, this is for a season. This isn't forever. You know, we're not, we're not, we're not into deprivation forever. Um, we want to make some change in our lives so that we can have a, a great future. I would say the most important things that we did were getting together on a monthly basis to track that spending, talking about our entertainment expenses, how we can drill those back, and then being able to say no, which was, which was tough sometimes. So I've actually recently started having that kind of one-on-one -on -one each month with my girlfriend, getting her into the spreadsheet, because I'm a spreadsheet junkie. I love it, love tracking everything. There you go. And so I'm kind of curious, <laughs> as as something I'm kind of going through right now, what are what are some of the things you recommend people who are trying to get their spouse on board, and what was that like? Like, was your wife immediately, you know, was she seeing the same goals you were seeing, or how did that transition? Yeah, she definitely was not seeing eye-to-eye -eye with me in the beginning. It was a, it's one of those things where, I was more excited about it, excited about the process. Like, hey, we can create a budget and we can pay off this debt and then we'll be debt free. And for me, the number side of things got me really jacked up. But for her, she's more on the emotional side of things. So I wasn't speaking her language in the beginning. I wasn't speaking like, hey, if we become debt free, 
you'll be able to get this. Or, hey, if we pursue financial independence, this will mean this to you in your life. And I didn't really drill down enough to find out what those emotional things were. But I was just talking about the process. So in the beginning, she kind of glazed over, man, to be honest with you. It was kind of tough. But so how I reconciled that or how I would give advice to people in a similar situation is that we should speak to our spouses or our girlfriends more about the benefits of financial independence or debt freedom as opposed to the process. Numbers nerds like us, uh, the people who get into this stuff, the people who have podcasts about financial independence, like the numbers <laughs> or like to dive into it. And we get all jacked up about what those numbers can do, the, the 4% rule, how everything can go. It's, <laughs> my wife is more emotional. So once I figured out why she would actually care about this sort of thing, that's where we started to make some, some progress. And what it was, was she didn't love her job at the time. She would love to be a stay-at-home mom with our kids when they came into the world. That then became our driving force. That became the thing that we could come and work together on. I got my debt-free life. She got to be able to go part-time and then eventually full-time and be a stay-at-home mom. So that partnership came to a, uh, to a head there where it was, I, I was able to speak in the, uh, the numbers terms and she was able to speak in the emotional terms and that's where we came together. So that, that really helped me out in the beginning. And I think that would help a lot of people, especially the money nerds out there to, uh, to speak to their spouses on the other side. Yeah. I mean, Justin, I'm with you. Like I'm in the exact same boat as both of you guys actually. So when I first heard about financial independence, I built this complicated spreadsheet, showed my girlfriend. And I was like, look at this. We could retire before 30. And she goes, I don't care. And then, right. but, then, but then I swing it, I pitch it and I'm like, we can do world travel. Like we can just not, you, you can do whatever you want. She's big into public health. I'm like, we can go do global volunteerism. And you're right, Andy, when you swing it like that, then all of a sudden their ears perk up. <laughs> yeah. If it's not travel, it's not staying at home with the kids. Find out what it is, right? Does she have a hobby that makes her smile? Does Is there a cause that she's super passionate about or he or she, whoever, whoever's listening, obviously, Find out what that is. Find out what that drive is. Everybody's got a dream inside them, but it's been tampered down or washed away by the need to work a nine to five for 40 to 80 hours a week or <laughs> or the student loans that you think you're going to be paying until you're 60 years old. Taking the time to sit down on the couch, you know, turn off the devices and have that special conversation where you say, hey, if money weren't a thing, what would you do with your life? You know, what would be that big dream that you'd go after? That's exciting. And that, that's a that's an exciting date night too. everybody out there. <laughs> yeah. And I think that that's, that's something that's not only important when you're trying to convince somebody into doing it, but it's also important just for yourself when you're looking at when you retire, you don't need to just, you're not just going to retire and walk off into nothing. Like you want to have something waiting on you on the other side. And so figuring out what it is that you truly love is a huge part of the whole journey. So even if you're not having to convince your spouse, it's a very necessary thought exercise. But one thing I wanted to dig into was you mentioned that you use the kind of, you know, she gets her dream house, you get your debt-free life. And that was a that was a very tangible near-term goal that you used. Well, once you paid that house off, have you found the next tangible goal to chase after or have you needed one? Yeah, for me, I mean, I guess, again, uh, how, how I've fallen into the numbers and she's fallen into the emotional side is that I really would love to have financial independence. I think it's incredible. And to your point, it's not the retire early side of things. It's more of the ability to not have to work for my money, not have to be beholden to, to a, a paycheck, uh, beholden to a, a salary job. That's what's exciting me now. And since we've decreased our annual expenses sizably because we don't have a home payment anymore, 
our path to FI is a lot easier for us. And yes, we still have some years to go on that, but that's what's exciting me now. But to your point, what's her emotional tie now? What's her emotional side of things? Now that she's been able to stay at home with the kids for the past four years now, she's getting to that point where our both of our kids are going to start kindergarten, or at least our, our youngest son is going to start kindergarten, our daughter's in first grade already. So now she's having some uh, conversations in her brain saying, well, what do I want to do now? What do I want to do now that I've got some more time next fall when my, my son goes in full time? And she pursued a, an opportunity because She's a very organized individual. So she organizes our home like crazy. It's beautiful here. I love living here. It's like a it's like a modern hotel. So she's taken that skill now and is dabbling in it professionally. So she now goes into people's homes and helps them organize it. She does it just 10 hours a week right now. And uh, she's been able to connect with a company that hooks her up with opportunities for it. And she loves it. Uh, so is that, is that now the next thing for her? Is she going to grow that? Is she going to spend more time doing that passion project? Yeah, it's not it's not a six figure career, but you know what? It makes her happy. It makes her feel fulfilled. And now that we've been able to do some of these things, that's what she's exploring as opposed to, hey, I have to have this marketing manager job that I had. Now it's, hey, I get to pursue my passion towards organization and helping people really declutter their lives. So it's it's a great conversation shift that I'm really excited to see her have personally for herself. So Andy, before we breeze over this like a cool ocean wind, can we talk about how you paid off? I know it's a $400,000 house in four years and we're all about tangible, actionable tips here and that's truly incredible. So I'd love if you could just dive into that a little bit. Yeah, absolutely. So so where we left off is we, we, we decided to move to the home in 2013 and again, that our, our agreement together was, hey, we can get this nice house. I don't feel like we need it. But it is sure nice. It's in a great neighborhood with great schools, but we got to pay it off within five years. So what we did to do that, um, because that seems like a, a lot of money in a short period of time, we ended up saving quite a bit for a down payment. So the house is valued at $400,000 today. We bought it at $350,000, but we ended up putting about a 40% down payment down. So it's about $150,000. So we saved for a long period of time oh, wow. in order to turn that $350,000 potential $350,000 mortgage into a $195,000 mortgage. So what we started off with, just call it round math, about $200,000 mortgage. So that was the first thing that we did as a sizable, sizable down payment in order to cut it down quite a bit. Another thing that we did is we went with a 15-year mortgage. That way, every payment we were making each month was a sizable chunk towards the principal. And we ended up getting a really low interest rate of just 3% with that mortgage at the time. So a lot of our payment each month was going towards the principal. Wow. Another thing that we did is we continued those budget party meetings every month. And we have done for the past seven years. We just actually are going to do one on Thursday. And that helped us to stay on track. Where are we going? Where are we going with our payments right now? You know, there were definitely times in the beginning when we were both working. I was working full time. She was working part time where we were putting a lot more towards the mortgage. We were making more than we were when we got together and we were throwing a lot of the money at it. When Calvin, our second son came into our second child came into the world, that's when we decided to go full time stay at home mom with her uh, at home. So that dropped us down to one income. And so our payments, our aggressive schedule of payments towards the mortgage went sizably down at that point. But we had made such a progress in the beginning 
that the the balance was was pretty low at that point. We had gotten it down to around, I think, about eighty thousand uh, dollars by the time we said, "Hey, Nicole, it's time for you to you know stay at home and be with the kids." So at that point, we thought, "Hey, what else can we do to keep this momentum going?" I did my best to, you know, crush my goals at work. I'm in a sales role. So whenever I would crush goals, they'd give me a good bonus. Instead of taking some of that bonus and going on vacation and having fun, we would take the whole thing, throw it at the mortgage. We ended up selling a ton of stuff around our house. I I used to have a road bike and a moped that I used to go to work on, sold both of those, throw it at the mortgage. Essentially, anything, any extra money that came into our lives during those four years was all thrown at the mortgage. So last fall, just under four years, we paid the mortgage off completely. And uh, it's been, yeah, it's been about a year now since uh, since we got that nice letter in the mail from Freedom Mortgage, our mortgage company, (laughs) that said, you are, you're free. You don't have your mortgage anymore. So (laughs) when you're talking about saving up that money for that big down payment, was that money just, had you been saving that up in cash or was that in equities that you had to then turn into cash? Yeah, good question. No, we uh, we had just been saving it in cash. The purpose at that point was to use it for a down payment on our on our home. And actually, one big money mistake that I made is that we had accumulated that money up to about a hundred thousand bucks in our savings. And I had been meeting with a financial planner at the time and said, "Hey," because I didn't know everything at that point. I mean, I still I still have a lot to learn. But I said to my financial planner, I said, "Hey, we got a hundred thousand dollars. We want to hold on to it probably for just like a couple more years." What's something safe we can do with it that uh, will allow us to still access us and, and buy our home? And he recommended that we invest in the market and bond funds because it's very safe and it won't won't be volatile. And uh, that was a big mistake <laughs> because I didn't realize that they came with a big front load. So initially, oh. we paid probably five uh, percent on a front load. So we that hundred thousand dollar balance went down to five oh, percent. Yeah. Oh yeah, man. Oh yeah. What kind of financial advisor was Somebody this guy? Somebody I didn't work with uh, very much longer after that. <laughs> so wow. um, yeah, initially that balance went from 100000 to 95000 and then the balance continued to go down. And I'm like, you know, I obviously didn't know what I was doing. That was part of my problem. I didn't educate myself, but I also felt duped. I felt like, hey, you know, a, a good advice at that point to you and probably would have kept me as your client would have been like, hey, if you want this money within the next five years, you should not put it in any market. You should put it in a, you know, just a high yield savings account or something like that uh, and just keep saving. So that was a mistake that I made, but essentially we pulled it back and took it out of his hands and back into ours and continued to save. And we built it up to about $150,000 before we bought the home. So the one thing I got to give you credit for is between the the first realtor who kind of got you and the financial advisor who kind of got you, you played a huge part in turning around the economy in Detroit. So I got to give you, got to give a hand to you there. It's very true. It's very true. Well, you know, both of those moments, I look back at those and I say like, man, I, I wish I would have done it differently, but they both helped me to educate myself better, you know, because I think that since I got duped or fooled or whatever you want to call it, it made me never want to have that happen ever again. So because that situation happened with my first home, I didn't let it happen with my second home. And because that situation happened with that financial advisor, I studied up as much as I could so I could be my own financial advisor. And I, I, I don't recommend never working with a financial advisor. If you need one, go for it, work it out. I'm assuming I'll probably need some of that help in the future. But I'm just doing sort of the simple, stupid, you know, low cost index fund kind of thing right now. And I and I get it enough to to handle it for myself right now. 
So I, I would say those two mistakes helped me to took me to learn. <laughs> Man, I mean, I'm such a bad person when it comes to reflecting on the past. I'm just thinking like, what was that, 2010, like 2013? It probably would have been like $200,000 if you had it in VTSAX oh, yeah. or something. Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, if I if I were aware of what, you know, we all know now back then, I think that some of the decisions I made would have been different. Absolutely. Hands <laughs> us 2020. Yeah, yeah. It's hard to can't get stuck on those. So Andy, I kind of want to hop into your expertise. So you're all about marriage, kids and money. And basically that all boils down to relationships. So if you could just give us like checklist items, maybe not checklist, dive into them a little bit, but You've helped countless couples, countless families kind of just get their financial lives together and get it in order. So in some extreme cases where there's some crazy spender or just someone is not on board whatsoever, I'd love to hear like your tangible tips on how to make that a cohesive financial family. Yeah, absolutely. You know, some of the stuff that we talked about earlier, I think we could we could lead into some other steps. But again, talking about the benefits over the process, I think is a huge way to go, especially for people who are into the into the benefits of debt freedom or into the, the process of debt freedom and, and process of financial independence, talking about those benefits, finding out what those are, really setting aside some specific time to understand where your spouse is passionate in life. You know, also to boil those down, your dreams down too. So, I mean, taking that time separately, writing down specifically what your dreams are, what your excitement level is about life, same thing with your spouse and then sitting down together without the distractions and finding out where those dreams meet, you know, that little Venn diagram where your dreams and their dreams meet. And and then the center, (laughs) what can you both be passionate about together? And if you're not finding that your spouse or your girlfriend or your husband is interested in even having those conversations about the future, it's not a bad thing to lead by example. It's the same thing as like exercising and eating right, right? You go out there, you're going to start running, you're going to start eating right your spouse might just follow along with you because they see how excited you are and they see the benefits of it. So same thing can happen with your money. Start with a budget, start tracking your spending, start investing, start reading up and getting excited about things. And then they'll see your interest and they'll see the benefits of your your diligence that you're providing both for your relationship and the family. And hopefully they'll jump on board. So I think leading by example is a great way to go. Also taking advantage of the incredible fintech tools that are out there right now. This doesn't need to be a boring pencil and paper kind of process. There are automated tools like Mint or YNAB or HoneyFi, which is a fun one. It's like a couple budgeting app. Uh, Tiller is a great one, especially for the spreadsheeters out there that really like to dive deep into spreadsheets but want some automation. These are all great budgeting tools that can make the process and the conversations with your spouse a lot easier. So those are just some some quick thoughts that I had. All right, Andy. So challenge question. What if your wife or husband enjoys spending a lot of money? Mm, I have one of those. <laughs> <laughs> That's their passion. Like you sit them down and they're like, you know what? I like staying in hotels that cost $1,000 a night. I like buying $100,000 cars. Then what's your approach? Yeah, I think that's a great question. I would say it's an income and expenses conversation at that point. If you want to have the flashy life with the great things, there's nothing wrong with that. That's great. But we're going to have to have the flashy income to come with it in order to make it a life where you're not drowning. You have to, as well as your spouse, earn the income to make that a reality. Otherwise, it's going to mean financial disaster for your relationship. And all that can be done by laying it out in a easily trackable way. These conversations are a lot easier to have, you know, the flashy bags, the flashy hotels or whatever they whatever they want as long as they see it written down on paper. 
okay, we're making $100,000 together, but we are, based on this spreadsheet that we just put together or this automated system I'm I'm using, we are spending $150,000. So help me figure out how we can still get the important things that you like that bring you joy and come back to zero or come back to a savings rate of 20% or a savings rate of 10%, whatever you decide as a couple and your goals. Because yes, it's great to have great things. I, I don't think financial independence is about deprivation or not doing fun things or fun, fun vacations. There are ways to have it all. And a great example of that, because my wife likes, likes doing fun things and expensive things. She loves travel and I love being frugal. So you know what we came together on? Travel hacking. We love travel travel hacking. hacking. That was our sort of our tie-in together. She wanted to go on vacations. I wanted to hit these FI and debt-free goals. And we found travel hacking. And it's been beautiful. We went to Cabo San Lucas in May this year. It was a $6,300 trip. All-inclusive resort. All our family. My my, my two kids. Round-trip tickets. From Detroit to Cabo, $6,300, all of our food taken care of, private transportation to and from the airport, freaking massages. I mean, $6,300. This thing was full on. We credit card hacked that for $200. (laughs) It was fun. It was like a game, and we did it. And you know what? We repeated it again this fall. We just got back from L.A. where we stayed at the W in Beverly Hills, one of her dream hotels that she never got to stay in, probably a $500 a night place for free. It's just like, obviously, you got to be careful with it. I would say not to dive into credit card hacking if you currently have credit card debt or you are not tracking your spending. This is an advanced advanced strategy. I really think it is. Otherwise, it can cause a lot of trouble. So I guess that's somewhere where we've come together. So, you know, with with your children too, working through you know, how that changes your expenses, have you sat down and talked about how you envision, you know, whether it's private schools even before you get to college or college or how is that relationship going as far as deciding how you want to spend your money on your kids while you're still trying to focus on getting your your own spending together that's a great question for our kids we decided to move in this nice home in this nice district and the public schools are fantastic so our kids are going to go to the public school here my daughter has already started first grade my son is in pre-k he does just three half days a week so it's i think it's like 700 dollars a semester because my wife's still at home and she can you know manage that but as far as college is concerned yeah that freaks us out man <laughs> we've been saving um we've been saving both of their 529s from the day that they were born we want to take advantage of compound interest do we think we're going to be able to get 100% of their college funded? No freaking way, man. It's it's supposed to be for my daughter to go to my alma mater, Michigan State, in 2030. It's supposed to be $220,000 all in. Um, we are not going to have that much. We're probably going to have maybe maybe 100 because we started early. But you know what we're going to do to, to fix that? We are going to have her contribute through uh, scholarships. She's going to fill out a bunch of scholarships with her mom and dad's help. She's going to get some great grades, and uh, we're going to have her work while she's in high school and have her work while she's in school and uh, while she's in college, and we will figure out a way for her to graduate debt-free. It's, it is possible. The 529 is going to get us halfway there. Scholarships are going to help us a little bit, and as well as her working, and it's, it's going to be just fine. And worst-case scenario, worst-case scenario, she goes to a couple years of community college, gets those credits out of the way that clear probably an eighth of the price. And then she can graduate from whatever university she wants to. There are also other programs out there that are questioning whether we even need to do these $200,000 degrees anymore. Programs like Treehouse, where you can learn to code 
and things like that and go straight into the workforce. These are kind of an interesting conversations to have, especially with the student debt crisis. Something has got to happen because people are in, in a bad way. I've, I've read some articles about people who are in their 60s that are getting their Social Security garnished because they still have not paid back their student loans. This is a crisis and it is not going away. And if we keep feeding this machine of quarter million dollars to go to college, I'm not sure it's going to make it any better. So we're we're going to save half and then we're going to make some decisions over the next 10 to 12 years about what the right path is for our kids. Just send her into the military. She'll be fine. <laughs> there you go. There we'll, you take, go. we'll take care of the <laughs> Serve your country. There you go, man. So Andy... What did you uh, study in college? I studied, in my undergrad, I studied communications, and, which makes sense because I'm part-time podcaster right now. And then I uh, went to uh, get my MBA for marketing after that as well. Okay. I was just curious. So you're one of the rare exceptions where your side hustle kind of coincides with your degree. Yeah. I mean, I, I, I kind of just made that make sense right there. But yeah, no, <laughs> I, I enjoy communicating and I enjoy uh, talking, as you guys can tell today. So um <laughs> I have the opportunity with my my job to speak in front of crowds because I'm in sales and I do presentations and things like that. So, you know, this medium like you guys are, you and I are talking about right now, it's not unfamiliar to me. Yeah, because I just wanted to kind of hop on that a little bit more because there is that conversation like, is college really necessary now? Because there's so many different avenues to make money. Like, I'm sure a lot of the skills you learned in college is not applicable to running a podcast. Like, yeah. You probably didn't have a class on podcasting, but now you're doing it to maybe earn yourself a little bit of money and you could eventually scale it into a business that could support your family. And it's from something that you didn't go to school for. So I'm just wondering what you're thinking. I know you mentioned Treehouse, some of those other programs for your son and daughter, but I don't even know where I'm going with this. (laughs) No, I understand your question. I, I think that it's amazing what you can learn by spending literally maybe a half a day on YouTube or a half a day just reading blogs where people have spent so much time pouring in the knowledge into an article or a course or or a video, a free video, that you can learn so much. And honestly, I mean, I'm with you, man. I honestly, I can't remember a lot of what I learned in my MBA program, which makes me so sad because I probably spent (laughs) $50,000 getting that program done. But a lot of the way that programs are taught are they're taught in a way where you just need to pass the test or you need to get the, the box checked and then the information fades out because you're not you're not actually practicing it. You're not actually doing it on a daily basis. And so some of the information that I had in my MBA is applicable to what I do on a daily basis at work, but a lot of it is just life skills that you get on the job. So I don't know. Yeah, it's for the amount of money that it is right now, I, I question the validity of the need of going to college, but I'm not stopping in my 529 or anything like that. I think that what is the statistic? College graduates versus non-college graduates. I think just a couple of years ago, the statistic was college graduates still make 56% more than non-college graduates. So in today's society, it still pays to have the college degree if you want to be a salaried employee. Now, if you want to be a digital marketer, or if you want to be a coder, or you want to do something like that, then yeah, save the dough and spend a lot of time building your business because you, you maybe don't need it. All right. So Andy, on the same thread as just the entrepreneurial spirit and being able to kind of chase these goals and dreams, YouTube, Google it, whatever you want to do, how do you have just the motivation and the grind to come home and do a podcast every day or at least work on some part of your entrepreneurial business? It's a great question. 
I would say it's my sheer passion around the topic. I get really excited about talking about personal finance. I get really excited about helping other families figure this stuff out because it just it just drives me. And if I was not excited about it, if it was just like, hey, I want to do this to make a little bit extra money, I wouldn't have done it. In the beginning, I didn't make any money and I loved it. People, were, I was able to talk to other people about personal finance and financial independence. And I was discovering all these different things. I didn't know anything about FI when I started in 2016. It was like, discovering a new island. <laughs> and uh, yeah, it's just my, my sheer passion towards the subject. So I, I would say if people are considering a side hustle or a entrepreneur adventure, make sure that you are really passionate about the uh, subject because you're probably not going to make a lot in the beginning or you know, there's, it's going to be some long hours on top of what you're already doing. So make sure you really care about it and make sure it's something that personally helps you as well. Like I do the podcast because I get to learn from really smart people, from millionaire entrepreneurs or, <laughs> or financially independent folks or things like that. So I'm learning while I'm also helping. So it's just a win-win all around. Yeah, I think if I were to calculate my ROI, it would be like 10 cents per hour because <laughs> I've right, poured like exactly. thousands of hours into my entrepreneurial projects. <laughs> <laughs> right. But you love it. I mean, like as opposed to a hobby, you know, hey, this is something where it's a hobby right now, but hey, I'm, I'm going to grow it and I'm going to make more money in the future, potentially. If not, who cares? I'm having fun. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> the one thing I like about your story is it's a, it's kind of a something that anyone could relate to as far as you aren't out there, like over leveraging yourself, taking a bunch of risk. It's just kind of a nice, clean, simple approach to this whole financial independence thing. But as you got learning, what was one of the first kind of technical skills or that you picked up as far as the path towards financial independence, whether it be some kind of, you know, understanding of taxes or whatever, what was kind of that, what was your transition from, okay, I know I need to save some money and we're figuring that out. Now let's start educating ourselves to that second layer of financial knowledge. That's a great question. Yeah. I would say uh, since I got into the Dave Ramsey stuff pretty heavy in the beginning, it was all debt-free, debt-free, you know, and then I got to that point where we'd literally had no debt anymore. And I'm like, oh, okay, well, now what, what do I do now? And what I, what I learned uh, about through continuing to research and talk to some really smart people was income diversification is so important. You cannot rely solely on your salary at work because you will not become wealthy. You will not become financially independent by just being an employee. So that's where I started to grasp onto. And I'm still learning that. Uh, I'm obviously investigating a lot of things. Our next goal is to buy our first rental property. But since we got so far in this debt freedom track, I can't seem to pull myself into taking a loan to get our first rental property. So we're trying to save up in cash like we did the first time around where we just pulled up a boatload of cash to, to buy something. So we won't be buying a $350,000 rental property. Maybe we, but in Detroit, you can get a good rental property in a working class neighborhood for a hundred thousand bucks. So we are, we have about $50,000 right now saved another year or so of us clipping away. We are, we'll, we'll have enough to buy our first rental property in cash. So that'll be our, our, our foray into income diversification there as well as this little entrepreneurial adventure that I'm on right now, doing the podcast and the blog, affiliate incomes, like one of the coolest things I've, I've discovered. It's like you can put some things, some products and services that you that you know, like, and trust on your blog or through your podcast, and you can make money while you sleep. That sort of stuff is exciting to me. Yeah, no, it is pretty cool. And okay, it's not while you sleep, Andy, because you probably are grinding away hours and hours recording, <laughs> polishing the blog, polishing the podcast. So <laughs> It's not exactly as you sleep, but it's nice to think of it that I'm way. I'm <laughs> fooling you correctly then. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> awesome. All right. Well, Andy, if our listeners want to connect with you, maybe they have problems with their marriage, kids, and money, where can they reach out to you? Absolutely. Yeah. You guys can connect with me at marriagekidsandmoney.com. Uh, I also have a podcast like you guys do 
under the same name, Marriage, Kids, and Money. I'm happy to connect with anybody. I am doing some coaching services this year. It's been a lot of fun to actually work directly with families as they figure out this whole journey. So uh, connect with me there, marriagekidsandmoney.com. All right, Andy. So something we like to ask all of our guests is if you could just give one tip for someone who wants to accelerate their path to financial freedom, what would that tip be? Well, I would say that it should correlate with some of the things that we talked about today. Because if you are married, you maybe are listening to the show, if you're in a relationship, I would say taking some set aside time to meet with your spouse, meet with your girlfriend, meet with your boyfriend, meet with your husband, and have a conversation about what those dreams are in your life. Really boiling those down and getting a clear understanding what you would do if your financial situation was completely set. What drives you? What makes you excited about life? And then finding out what your dreams are, what their dreams are, and then finding out where they intersect. So set that date, have that night with your with your spouse or your, your significant other, and discover what that is because it could really revolutionize your life. Now we get to what we always do with our guests. It's something they're not ready for. Cody's not ready for because I'm asking the question this time. I just thought of it halfway through the episode. It's our wild card question. You ready? <laughs> I'm ready, man. All right, here we go. So you have this nice, clean cut family life. But let's say <laughs> you found yourself falling into this some kind of criminal ring and then you had to live a life on the run. Mm. What would your cover story be? <laughs> Whoa. All right, I'm on the run. What's my cover story? Ooh, my cover story with my family or with uh, with the people? Yeah. Okay, I, I just got to get out of there because I, I just can't handle it anymore because I'm because I'm faking this crazy life. It's like it's like Ozark. Got from Netflix, it. Okay, yeah. I like that show. My cover story is that well, I, I mean, it's kind of a lot of these conversations about financial independence. To be honest with you, it sounds it sounds wild when you say, "Hey, I'm not gonna I'm not gonna work my nine to five anymore, or I'm not going to." continue doing all the things that everybody else is going to do. We're going to go travel the world and we're going to give up our, our crazy lifestyle. So I don't know. I think maybe just describing the ideal life sounds pretty nuts in this situation, just taking off because <laughs> yeah, I mean, doing what everybody else is doing with regard to, you know, racking up the debt and spending like crazy and, and then working jobs that they don't like. I think that does sound nuts. So if you say the opposite, you might sound, you might sound crazy. I don't know if was that too cake of an answer for you. <laughs> I think it matches your profile. All right, Andy. Well, thank you so much for coming on the show and just dropping all of your wisdom about marriage, kids, and money today. I appreciate it, man. Thank you both for having me on and keep doing the great work you're doing. Man, Justin, another good episode in the books. And what I really like about Andy's story is just how relatable he is. He tells a story that almost anyone can resonate with. He starts in debt. He kind of climbs his way out through Dame Ramsey. And then he's like, what's next? Yeah, I mean, he turned his life around when his wife got pregnant. And I think that's, you know, one thing we always try to preach on here is these stories are inspirational, but, you know, hopefully you don't actually have to hit that life-changing moment to turn your finances around. But when the moment called, he did a great job of it. They started sitting down and having these, you know, monthly budget reviews every month, and they made saving money a real priority. And they were open and honest about that with their friends and family. They're like, listen, the next couple of years are going to be different. We're not going to be the same people we were. And Andy, like us, Justin, is kind of a spreadsheet nerd, so he came at his wife at first with all the spreadsheets and stuff, with the math, and she didn't want that at all. And his advice to the listeners was, try to meet your spouse or your significant other, whoever they are, where they are. Try to figure out what makes them tick, what makes them happy, what's the life they want to live. Don't just come at them with the numbers, because not everyone are finance nerds like we are. Yeah, we even discussed the example of some people just feel like they need fancy or nice things. Like, that's what they enjoy. Maybe they don't enjoy 
travel or they don't enjoy certain things, but whatever it is they enjoy, he recommended just kind of sitting down and writing out what those things were alongside of what your income is and say, listen, like this is what can and can't fit in a black and white fashion and not just make it such an attack on, oh, you can't have nice things. Just kind of list out these are the nice things you can afford and the nice things you're going to have to cut. And one of the specific things I really like is that, like Andy said, you don't have to decrease your quality of life at all. He was figuring out what his wife liked to do. One of the things was travel. So what did they do? They met in the middle and discovered travel hacking, where they could travel the world for free with points and miles. Or maybe it's getting the fancy designer bag and just having the bag is the part that makes you feel really good. I'm sure you could find that same bag at some discount store or at a yard sale or there's just all these little hacks. And if you're just like 1% smarter or work 1% harder, you can often find the deal for the item that's the same exact quality or the trip that's the same exact experience as someone who's paying full price. So I just thought that was really cool. And the last thing that kind of stood to me was this aspect of flexibility. So when we talked about raising his children, you know, he said, yeah, I am saving in the 529s, but I'm also expecting them to have scholarships and they're going to work. And this is also under the assumption that they actually want to go to college. And he kind of, you know, understands that the landscape is changing for education and skill sets, but he's just preparing just in case. He's like, I want to get kind of the halfway point just in case for saving for their college. Let them bring it across the plate if they decide they want to go. And if not, it's better safe than sorry. And so, Justin, another thing that... Whoa! What is it, Cody? I think it's the call to action, man. And so this week, Andy laid it out nice and smooth for us. Justin didn't even have to think about this call to action. And Andy said, think that money wasn't an issue at all. What would your ideal day look like? And you can do this with your spouse. If you don't have a significant other, you can do this by yourself. But just really think, what makes you happy on a day-to-day basis? And I know we said this before, but how much money does it actually cost to live that life? Because oftentimes, it's not the money part that's the hard part. It's the lifestyle. It's having happiness during your five journey. So really just take a second, think about that, and write down what does your ideal day look like if money was not an issue. That's a great call to action, Cody. And you know we're just kind of giving you that one piece of Andy's story. And while it's an awesome story, in the grand scheme of things, it's really just starting. So if you want to go and see everything we talked about in the show, but also get those links so you can keep up with Andy and his journey, you can do that over at thefashow.com slash Andy. And also, you won't want to miss the best, most inclusive financial group out there, our Facebook group, which you can get to at thefyshow.com slash community. Thanks for listening. See you on next week's episode of The Fi Show. 